chapter 7. Yes. And Isaac will tell you exactly where. Good morning, church. Luke chapter 7, verse 35. Don't open it yet. We'll get there in a moment. This morning, we're going to read the story and learn from it as we go. So I cut out the guys at the back to get up the PowerPoint for this morning. First off, something exciting is happening in a few days' time. Rebecca and I will be getting married, and we'd like to open extend a warm and open invitation for any of our church family to come along to the ceremony and it will be at Graceville Uniting Church at 2 p.m. next Saturday. So I just wanted to invite you warmly to that. We would love you to be there. We're happy to pack the place. Okay. Last sermon... I close with an illustration from the dining table. Our condiment habits are a trivial example of the character traits we inherit from our family. We reflected from Luke chapter 6 on God's mercy. Now God's mercy, God's merciful love of his enemies, us. This, and that's for all who trust in Jesus Let me start that sentence again. God's merciful, mercifully loves us, his enemy, and his love includes all who trust in Jesus, includes them into the family of God. And as members of God's family, we share in growing in his merciful character through the transforming power of God's spirit, another family benefit. God's mercy inspires us to love our enemies as we have been loved by God. This week we continue our snapshots through Luke series. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus is sharing the values and character of being a part of God's family in God's kingdom. Now last, this week, we're back around another dining table. Now this, but first I want to take you to the living room. Have you ever wondered why Christians are so keen on the Bible? We read it in church, we look at it at youth group, we're encouraged to read it personally, in groups, and to share its message with the world. Christians are keen on the Bible. Now, the Bible is not God, but I like this illustration for the Bible. Being in the Bible is a bit like being in God's living room. We get to meet personally with God. We get to look around the room. We get to see the snapshots of what God has been like throughout time and history. His faithfulness to his people is mounted on the walls. We discover a God who has pursued us, sending his son Jesus for us and for the opportunity for us to be restored back into relationship with him. Our status as God's enemies dies with Jesus on the cross. And all for all who accept and trust Jesus as their only hope for peace with God. And our confidence, our assurance of the transforming acceptance 
into God's family, raises as Jesus rose from the cross. So keep in mind this big picture of the living room of the Bible as we head out to dinner with Jesus at a Pharisee's house. You see, before Jesus accomplishes victory, our salvation on the cross, Jesus is revealing the truth about what it means to belong to God's family in God's kingdom. Dinner with Jesus is going to be a bit of an awkward, awkward meal. This is a, I think it's a Renaissance picture of about the 16th, 1700s, capturing a bit of the tension in the room. We'll ignore that it would have been a completely different setup in first century Palestine. You see, the host is self-righteous. The company, well, it's a bit unexpected. And the resulting conversation, because it's sort of a conversationalist dinner, it's a bit strained. But the outcome of the dinner is worth the journey. You can leave this dinner table with peace. However you came, joyful, sad, hopeless, hopeful, ashamed, proud, God offers at his table peace. Peace for those who place their faith in his son, Jesus. We're setting the scene. Let's see how the passage states it. Now you can open up your Bibles. Have a look from Luke chapter 7, verses 36. I find it helpful to put passages visually. It's just how my mind works. Hopefully it helps you out. One of the Pharisees asked him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet weeping she began to wet his feet with her tears wiped them with the hair of her head kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment now the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner You can feel the contempt. The Pharisee, he can't even bring himself to openly state his opinion of this woman. He says it to himself instead of his guests. It's just, it's too beneath him. So let's cut through the wording. In the mind of this Pharisee, a slut is interrupting his dinner party. She comes with a reputation, and she's a weeping mess. He's going to have to mop the floor. It's wet with her tears. The outrage continues as she lets down her hair to wipe up the mess. This action, and in this public setting, uh, in this day and age, would be on par with going topless. And then add to this the fondling of Jesus' feet and the ointment. In the Pharisee's mind, she's a prostitute offering sex acts to Jesus in the middle of his respectable dinner party. This is an awkward scene. 
So what on earth is Jesus up to? How does this scene help display what it means to be a family member of God in God's kingdom? We can see in this scene what being a part of God's family meant to the Pharisee. You see, according to the Pharisee, God's people, and especially God's prophets, must separate themselves from the wicked. They were to create a kingdom fenced off from the evil influences of the outside world. Respectable, perhaps predictable, pure. Jesus did not match the Pharisees' expectations. The Gospel of Luke, it was first written in Greek. Uh, the Greek wording of the Pharisees' statement, if this man were a prophet and what follows, it's a second-class conditional clause. This is a fancy grammatical term that means the Pharisee is operating out of an assumption, an explicit assumption. In his mind, Jesus is a fake prophet who lets dirty sinners like this woman too close. The Gospel of Luke, it's set up an assumption about Jesus that is about to be challenged by Jesus himself. I wonder, pausing right now here in the story, how do you picture Jesus? What assumptions have you already made? Is the Jesus you know too respectable to show mercy to a prostitute? Is the Jesus you know too pure to get amongst the mess and the muck of this broken world? Are you bored with Jesus? Because you've crammed him into this small, predictable little box many years ago. Jesus responds. He doesn't mention the woman. He tells a parable. Let's hear it from Luke. And Jesus answered. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of, them, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Simon the Pharisee, now personally named by Jesus, has an unspoken assumption, although explicit, that Jesus is a fake prophet. So don't miss what just happened. Jesus the prophet responds to Simon's assumption without it even being said aloud. A small but noteworthy detail. The parable is straightforward. The greater the debt cancelled, the greater the gratitude. Now let's see how Jesus applies it. Verse 44. Then turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? 
Simon had seen the woman. Everyone had seen her. You could see her weeping. You could smell the ointment. You could see her touching Jesus. Everyone was aware of the sinner's presence. But do you see this woman? Her brokenness, her trust. She comes to Jesus and it is going to cost her everything. Humiliation. She wreaks total public rejection. She comes with the heart of the lowest of servants. And she offers extravagant hospitality. She welcomes Jesus with honour fit for a God. See what Jesus saw. I entered your house. He's talking to the Pharisee. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Here is Jesus' conclusion. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus knows her sins more than the Pharisee ever would. He knows that they are many, but he sees her faith. She sees her faith expressed in tears of repentance and her acts not of promiscuity, but of love. She's not being inappropriate with Jesus. She's providing the very basic acts of hospitality any host should offer of that time. Water to clean the guest's feet, a kiss of greening, an anointing of oil. She offers these acts of welcoming Jesus into her life with much love. She knows the shame of her sin. Her only hope for peace is to completely depend upon God's, upon the mercy of Jesus is forgiveness. Jesus then addresses her directly for the first time. Imagine these as the first words you heard from Jesus. And then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. We're going to take a moment to reflect on the nature of sin. And as we see how life-transforming, we will see how life-transforming these words are. You see, a small view of sin results in a tragically small view of God's forgiveness. Our sin is our rejection of God. 
and this rightly cuts us off from God. We reflect God's character less and less, and this is displayed in different ways. In our story, this reflects for some as prostitution. Others, it's self-righteousness. A failing to love with even basic hospitality and then condemning another for doing that for you. And all these actions or inactions are symptoms of the same fatal disease, sin. Don't diminish God's forgiveness to a simple looking over of that porn video you watched or you had it, how you managed to get through a season of Netflix this week but God didn't get the priority of just five minutes of your time perhaps because your week was too busy God's forgiveness does cover that and more but God's forgiveness isn't just this patch job of your old life. It's the offering of a new life, a life that is being transformed more and more to reflect God's character. Sin no longer defines you. The woman is no longer held captive and distant from God by her sin. God's forgiveness through Jesus is the foundation for a restored relationship with God. We need an appropriately big view of sin to see the magnitude of God's forgiveness. Our other guests at the dinner table, they voice two questions that result from a big view of sin. Look with me at verse 48. And then 49. Then those who were at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Reflect, continuing to reflect on sin. Sin is always first an offense against God. The damage sin does to others, the symptoms of a diseased nature, are the byproducts of our rejection of God. And it, it is true and right that we seek forgiveness as best as we're able from those that we hurt in this world. But we must remember that they're the symptoms of the heart of the issue. It is only God who can treat the disease of our sin with transformative forgiveness. We are wise to remember that no matter how contained or how chronic the symptoms of our sin, we all share the fatal disease. Unless Jesus changes this, a self-righteous prostitute, a Pharisee, and the prostitute, so unless Jesus forgives, the end is the same for the self-righteous Pharisee and the prostitute. Their symptoms perhaps slightly different but the end course the same. Rejection of God, however small, leaves us separated from God forever. 
A big view of sin realises that only God can forgive that we have rejected him. The guests are asking, who does Jesus think he is? Going around offering forgiveness for sins. Only God can do that. Don't miss the claim of Jesus in this statement. To say that your sins are forgiven is to be a claim to be God. So consider how a debt is forgiven. The money owed does not magically disappear. The price must still be paid in full. What changes when a debt is forgiven is who pays the price. The moneylender bears the price themselves instead of the one who borrowed the money. The same is true of our sin. The offense of sin does not magically disappear as Jesus offers forgiveness. God cannot ignore our rejection of him. Judgment must be enforced in full. What Jesus changes through an accepted offer of his forgiveness is who pays the price for sin. A big view of sin raises a second question. How does God forgive the offense of sin and the judgment it deserves and yet remain just? A price must be paid, and if we don't pay it, then it must be God who does. God somehow suffering the punishment for our rejection of him. And how could this be? How could such a merciful God really exist? Jesus' parable and Jesus' response to the woman challenged today's dinner party guests to reevaluate our assumptions placed upon God. Jesus is more than a teacher, more than a prophet. Jesus is God. Come to unite justice and mercy at the cross. It's at the cross Jesus pays through his death the punishment for our rejection of God. Jesus is God's way to transform rejection into relationship through the forgiveness of sins. At this dinner table we have gathered around tonight, you have been confronted with the question, who is Jesus? Is Jesus God sent to offer forgiveness and forgiveness made possible through Jesus' payment of our sin debt on the cross? I believe he is but I can't believe for you. You, like Simon, like the woman, like every guest at the table, are invited to explore your assumptions and turn, to them, and turn them into conclusions you trust in. Christianity is more, though, than an invitation to trust in information. Christianity is an invitation to trust in a person named Jesus. 
Our passage finishes with Jesus' final words to the woman. And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Peace is a word that is easy to import our own ideas onto. For, the, for this woman in first century Israel, uh, the peace Jesus' promises will not be freedom from war, freedom from global superpowers going at each other. Terrible wars will impact this woman's countries in days to come. Peace will not be a zen-like tranquility to walk through life's, life's circumstances unaffected. Peace is the restoring of a relationship, firstly with God, but also with the opportunity to be restored to the wider community. For this woman, she was isolated. She was cut off, rejected. And as Jesus offers, offers forgiveness, taking the punishment him, on himself instead, she does have the opportunity to belong once again. We're not told more of the story to see how that goes for her. But we do know Jesus sends her off in peace. This moment is not just a once-off event. Jesus is commissioning her with a new imperative for her life. She is to continue in this way of peace. Today, through the Gospel of Luke, we're invited to a dinner party with Jesus. The meal has been served. The events of the occasion, perhaps a little awkward, but they've now been considered. Now I invite you, don't leave this table without peace. Explore the assumptions you have about Jesus. Test them against what we discover in this and other passages of the Bible. And I trust that they will begin to make sense of your experience of the world. Own the conclusions you reach. But I can only promise peace with God to those who place their trust in Jesus. It is only Jesus who can offer the forgiveness of sins for your peace. And this is not a once-off event, but rather the beginning of a new life characterized by trust in Jesus for your forgiveness and your peace. Today is an invitation to enjoy peace with God for the first time. For others here today, can be a milestone, a marker to look back on, in which Jesus became less of who you assumed him to be and more of who has revealed him to be through his word. As you explore, commit to trust, to trusting in a more real Jesus. Marvel at how God treats our sin God offers forgiveness and transformation, a new life that is being restored. So don't leave this table.
without peace. Find peace with God through faith in Jesus. Then, as those forgiven much, let us be people who love much. Love with an extravagance shown to us by the woman weeping at the feet of Jesus. Let's pray. God, it is easy for us to look with the judgment upon the brokenness in the world of the people around us. And yet we, as we consider how you respond to this woman, see that we are part of that brokenness, that we are just in need of your forgiveness because of our rejection of you. God, draw us close. Help us to know your peace because of your forgiveness. And Lord, may gratitude, may our love be much because you have forgiven us much. Help us to go forth this week to love and serve you in the name of the one who can be our saviour, Jesus. Amen.